right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. What a what an amazing location you guys have here. Even as I was pulling up and driving through campus and seeing the stadium, and I'm just excited to find out this morning you guys still have a football program. I'd heard you guys <laughs> once had one, and um, it is uh, it is so good to see that that you guys still still have that going on. Uh, but no, like Jordan said, I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. My wife and family is here today. We're both alumni from Florida State University. Also, Michael, who just led worship, uh, he was actually one of our original SALT students in our college ministry when I first began there. Uh, and we are so blessed to be a part of the SALT network. If you guys aren't familiar, maybe you're new, maybe you're still figuring things out. This church is a part of a larger network, a, a group of churches who are all autonomous but choose to work together uh, to do something strategic. And the strate strategic thing that we want to do as a network is to help see gospel-centered churches reach college students and raise up the next generation of leaders. And that's why a lot of times you'll hear about 1002, you might see shirts with 1002 on them, uh, because we believe that Jesus was serious when he said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, so pray to the Lord that he would raise up more, more people to lift up the name of Jesus and we believe the way that that looks as far as raising up more people is raising up the next generation. And so uh, all across the board in our network, our desire is just to see another generation raise up to faithfully steward the gospel. And you guys get to be a part of that by being a part of this church. As somebody who's a part of that network, I, I want to thank you. Uh, we have learned so much from the team that you have here, Josiah and Jordan and, and Pastor Paul Sabino. What an amazing um, group of people you guys get to work with. And it's been a pleasure for me to get to know them. Uh, our church was started about 17 years ago uh, before anybody knew what church planting was. Now, a lot of people talk about church planting, starting new churches. Uh, but back then, people were a little confused about why people wanted to start new churches if they could drive 20 minutes and find one or five minutes and find one. But our senior pastor, Dean and Sarah, he grew up in Tallahassee and he had a desire to see a church that loved the gospel and wanted to reach the next generation. Not that there weren't churches that were doing that or had the same heart, but he really wanted to see that happen. And so 17 years ago, City Church was planted. And um, about three years ago, we joined the SALT Network where uh, we could come together with like-minded churches, not only to contribute to trying to help plant churches, but also for us to learn so that we could learn from people who are like-minded, doing great things. In fact, I remember uh, uh, not too long ago, uh, me and a couple of our college students driving up here to unload the U-Haul as Paul and his family got here to Gainesville and just praying with Paul that day that we would see this city reached. And I can't tell you how excited I am to, to be here today and see a room filled with people who believe in that vision. And so uh, we, we just finished up our beach weekend. Uh, they asked for me just to share a little bit about what's going on in Tallahassee. We have a college ministry. It's also called SALT. All the college ministries in the network are called SALT. It makes us uh, trading t-shirts really easy. Um, and, uh, and we just came off a beach weekend. We had over 200 college students in Panama City Beach. Uh, we go in the Gulf. Uh, we had our kickoff service th this year at Langford Green, which is the kind of iconic green outside of our stadium. We saw over 500 college students uh, come to that, and weekly we meet on Tuesday nights, and we have the privilege of just seeing college students figure out what does it look like for them to leverage their life for the gospel. And um, they're in a season of life where they're trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do with my career? Where am I going to live? What do I want my life to look like? And we believe it's such a privilege uh, to come in through our, our midweek services and city groups and beach retreats and 
Uh, a lot of the other salt networks have fall retreats. I tell them we don't have a fall in Florida, but we do have a beach, so uh, that's what we do. And to try to use all of those things to try to help them have a picture of their life that would make much of Jesus for years and years to come. And so we're, we're just so honored to be a part of this. If you have a Bible, you can go to Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 7. But one of the things that we see in Ephesians is that the Christian life is a team sport. It's a team sport, the Christian life is. And growing up, I, I looked up to so many great teams. They had the Mighty Ducks. Anybody remember the Mighty Ducks? I might be pigeonholing myself into a rather unique age demographic for this church, but there was, a, there was once a team called the Mighty Ducks, and they were inspirational. There were the Little Giants. There were the Wildcats or Wildcats of High School Musical. There were the Avengers, a team of superheroes coming together. And we're, we're all kind of drawn to this idea of watching great teams. I mean, it's a, Netflix is always making documentaries about teams where certain individuals came together and accomplished something. And there's something within us because God designed us to live in community and work together that we're drawn to teams. But when it comes to the Christian life, there's something about the Christian life where rather than our picture of what our faith experience is going to look like, it looks like a team. It ends up looking more like one of those kind of survivor shows where the guy has like a GoPro and he's living in the mountains for three weeks and he's like sleeping in a moose carcass. And it's just us out here on our own, dealing with sin on our own, dealing with our struggles all on our own, dealing with the anxieties we have all on our own. And we're trying to do it as individuals. We're trying to accomplish things with our faith as individuals, but what we see in the letter of Ephesians is that God's desire for us is to go through Christian life together, united as one. And this is this beautiful picture that we have, and it's challenging to come together because people are tough. Some people, they just, they're hard to get along with. And many of us are those people at times. I mean, it's a challenging thing to get a bunch of people who are all sinners, who all have struggles, who all have issues, who all have insecurities, who all have pride, who all have anger, who all have shame, all of the things that we carry with us. It's difficult for us to get together and to work together, and yet that's exactly what Christ calls us to do. But there's some beautiful things that come out of it because we don't just bring all of our struggles together, but we also bring all of our gifts, all of our talents all of the unique ways that God has wired us. And one of the things that God does is in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And one of the beautiful things that Jesus does is he actually brings us in to building up that kingdom, to building up that church. He invites us in together. And so we work through those challenges, we bring our gifts to the table, all the while not just participating with one another, but participating with Christ himself. And that's where we pick up in Ephesians 4, uh, we're going to see this morning. Um, just a, a little bit of context here for Ephesians, just in case maybe you forgot or maybe you're new, but this is a, a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to an actual group of people in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a really strategic place, the same way that the Salt Network thinks, wow, the college campus is a strategic place because people from all around the world, I mean, people from all around the world coming to college campuses and being sent out. In a similar way, Ephesus was like that. People would travel to the city of Ephesus. They would stay there a while. They would learn things. They would learn trades. And then they would go out and they would go to other places. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to this strategic place called Ephesus, and he's writing to a real group of people. 
They're a real group of people who are trying to figure out the same thing that we are still trying to figure out today. How do we honor God together? How do we walk this out together? And so he's talking about all the challenges in the city, but he helps us understand the significance of unity. In verse 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we talk about ability we don't want to first forget the most important thing, which is that we all have received. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you've, you've received the greatest gift, and that's salvation. That's where our identity is. It's not in our abilities, but it's in what we've received in Christ Jesus. That through his work on the cross, Ephesians 2 tells us, that through his work on the cross, we've been actually adopted into the family. So our identity is not what we can do. It's who we are. We are children. We are sons and daughters of God. That's the most important thing when talking about gifting is to realize that it's all coming from the place of already receiving through Christ alone the greatest gift we could, which is just being a child, just being a loved child of God. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, Jesus had an earthly ministry. He walked, he performed miracles, and he taught about the kingdom of God. He had disciples, and then he ascended into heaven. And everybody is thinking exactly what you and I would think if Jesus were with us, and then he ascended, which is, what do we do now? And Jesus actually tells his disciples, it's better that I do this because I'm going to send a helper and he will guide you. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus ascends and he gives gifts to his people and then his people continue his mission. And so this is reminding us of that moment. And then in verse 11, it said he gave himself some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. In verse 12, it says equipping the saints. Now, the saints aren't the church staff. It's like, who, Paul, who are the saints in Ephesus? Well, if you go to the website and you go to our staff page, you'll see all the saints listed there. Saints are those children who've received the grace of Christ. That's why they're called saints. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up, to grow the body of Christ. So if you're a note taker, here's the first thing I want us to see. We're, we're learning about different gifts working in the same direction. Different gifts working in the same direction. Every single person in this room had a different story growing up, has different abilities, different talent challenges, different fill in the blank. And we all come together and we bring those differences with us, but we work them in the same direction. And that's to make much of Christ. And God's desire for his church is actually growth. And we're not just talking about numerical growth, but we're going to see in the passage is that this would not just be a stagnant place where people got together, but that this would be something that was continuing to live out that Matthew 16, where Jesus said he'll build up his church, where we get invited into that process. So we're bringing our different gifts together and we're working in the same direction. And that direction is growth. It's holistic. It includes maturity. And there's two key words here. The first is four. For the work of ministry. That does not mean that you cannot use the gifts that God's given you to build a business. That doesn't mean that you can't use the gifts that God has given you to, you know, fill in the blank with whatever you might want to do. But first and foremost, you use the gifts that God has given you for the work of ministry for the work of ministry, to make disciples. When I walked in, I saw some t-shirts down in the lobby. Those are for sale for $10. That's a free plug for the t-shirt guy. 
and it said multiply disciples. That is the most important thing you could ever do with your gift. Wouldn't it be a shame if God gave you amazing intellect, amazing ability to plan and create strategy, and one day at the end of your life, you look back and all you had done was build a multi-million, multi-billion dollar business, but never helped make one disciple. What a waste. So the first thing is for, we're given these gifts for the work of ministry. Yes, those gifts flesh out in every area of our life from our hobbies and our interests and our businesses and our families. And those become places that we can make disciples as well. But it's for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. And so we all have a shared responsibility in differing abilities. So we all have a shared responsibility. That responsibility that we share is to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. We have different abilities, but we all share in that responsibility that Jesus has given us. He's placed, he's invited us to do this work with him. And that's key. He says in verse 13, until we reach the unity in faith and the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. By Christ's fullness. Once again, we're not just called to wait, but we're called to work and to grow into the image of Christ. Building up the church is also about us having maturity. Well, recently I had to take one of my daughters. She's, uh, she just overcame an egg allergy. So she got exposed to eggs too early and uh, couldn't eat eggs for a long time, which actually was really challenging for our breakfast rhythms for our family. And I brought her to the doctor who does all the, the allergy tests. And I go into the waiting room and I think to myself, this is a very well done waiting room for fathers with kids. Because some waiting rooms, it's like they have two magazines from 1984, and like, you, like you're, you're afraid to sit in the chairs, you know? And this waiting room was great. This waiting room had multiple televisions. We had relevant magazines. We had all sorts of little toys for my kid, the little slidey thing, maze. All, just, I was like, man, this, this guy knows what's going on here at this place. And so what I do when I bring my daughter to the waiting room, and I'm going to wait in the waiting room, is my only desire is just like, I just don't want to get in trouble. You know, you can watch TV, you can read a magazine, you can, do, you can color, you can do whatever you want. Just, just wait, don't get in trouble. Here's what most Christians act like, is like when we get saved, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back, just wait and don't get in trouble. Just do whatever, just hang out, you know. But that's not what Paul is showing us. He's saying, yeah, now that you're saved, it's time to work. You have been freely given the grace of Jesus Christ, not a single work you have ever done has helped 1% of that. But now that you're saved, it's not time to be a kid in a waiting room coloring. It's time to be a disciple using your gifts for his kingdom. And so often, I think the reason that we don't do this is kind of two reasons. The first is I think that sometimes, even though we might believe the gospel and believe that we're saved, we don't actually believe that God's really working in all the areas around us. And so we're not really excited to participate because we just don't see the presence of God working around us. And so we just think, I'm just going to wait because God's honestly not really here. He's not really working. And so then we choose to step back. Or sometimes, if we're being honest, we think, yeah, God's working, and I come to church on Sundays, and I see about what God's doing, and salt, and man, I get so excited, and wow, I, I heard her sing this morning. What a great gift that she has with her voice, and 
while somebody in my group, my Bible study this week, was telling me about how they were making a disciple, and man, they, what, what a gift they have, but I think God's working. I just don't think he's working through me. I just don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I'm holy enough. And what we do is we tell ourselves that we're not enough, and we use that as an excuse to sit back and not participate in what God has called us to do. But you are already a saint. If you have your faith in Jesus Christ, you are already loved. You are already enough because Christ Jesus has made you enough. He's given you this opportunity. So what we're called to do is just to walk in that, to use what God has given us, not to compare with one another. It's not about comparing with one another who has the, this happens in, the, in Corinth. If you ever read through 1 Corinthians, they start arguing about who has the better gifts or who has the most influence or that's not what God's called us to. He's called us to work together. And we have to fight that temptation that I'm sure people in Ephesus had that said, yeah, God's working and he's using people to do that. I can see that in Paul but I can't see that in me. And Paul's saying, no, he's called the saints, all of those who are in Christ, to be a part of this, to work together, to hold this responsibility together. And it's a privilege that we get. It's a gift that we receive. So a couple things that we need to understand out of this passage in order to do, to, to do that well. The first is that God desires for his church to grow. What are we working to, towards? To grow in Christ-likeness. He doesn't just save us, but he calls us to show what we've received in that salvation through how we live. It actually matters. Use the word stature, our actions and what we do on the day-to-day basis. How we live our life actually matters greatly. There's no such thing as a, a small day. There's no such thing as an insignificant life. A not meaningful day. It is all meaningful. It all matters. And so all of that should be pointing to Christ. And Christ is our metric that we should grow to look more like Christ, the scripture says, into him, what he is, who he is. So so our goal as a group, as a church, is not to grow into look like some sort of Fortune 500 company. It's not to grow into some sort of cool organization that all the, the, the high schoolers and college students think is the coolest, most relevant thing. It is for us to grow into Christ-likeness. And not just as individuals, but together. Notice he doesn't say you, he says we in the text. Communal Christ-likeness. A lot of times we focus on how can I look like Christ? And there was a, a popular uh, uh, phase that's coming back. It would have bracelets to say, what would Jesus do? You're supposed to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? So I can do things that look like what Jesus would do and it would point people to him. And I think it's a great sentiment. And that is something we should ask as individuals. But it's also something we should ask as a community. How do we model Christ together? Not just as individuals, but a communal Christ-likeness. And this is where in the scriptures we learn about carrying one another's burdens and walking with one another through challenging times and praying for one another and encouraging one another and even forgiving one another. This is something we see all through Paul's letters. Ephesians is just one of Paul's letters. And you can see as Paul is writing in things like 1 Timothy, who was in Ephesus, he says, Timothy... I urge you to remain in Ephesus in 1 Timothy. Why would Paul 
urge Timothy to remain in Ephesus? Really simple. Timothy didn't want to be there. You don't have to urge me. Like, Hunter, I'm just going to urge you to get some barbecue today. All right, well, if you insist, right? <laughs> like, we have to be urged to remain in difficult things. And, one, and all through Paul's letter, we see this phrase several times, bear with one another. You don't have to bear through enjoyable things. It is tough to be together. It is. I've been working in ministry for over 10 years. The number one reason that I've noticed people change churches is because of unresolved conflict. They don't want to work through it anymore. And they don't have to leave Ephesus to go to a new church. Sometimes they just walk down the road. And that's not saying there's not reasons for people to leave churches. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is one of the ways that we reflect Christ together, one of the ways that we grow into looking like Jesus as a group of people is actually through forgiving one another when we've wronged each other. And it's hard. But that's what it's calling us to. And God's desire is that as his church grows, that it would grow not to look like something that would be in a Wall Street journal, but to actually look like the head, Jesus Christ himself. That people would look at how we love and serve and forgive and care for one another and see him in that. And that we would all be focused on that, hold each other accountable to that. And he's saying, let's grow and be more and more like Christ. Verse 14 says, then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we think that their life is so simple. And you probably do this because I do this too when I'm like really stressed and I have like 200 unread emails and I have my like 80 notifications on my phone. And I just think it must have been nice to live 200 years ago. You ever do that? You're like, boy, I bet that was easy. You know, like as if some guy who was pioneering, you know, some frontier trying to not get ate by animals and sleeping in, you know, negative degree weather next to a fire is like, man, well, at least I don't have notifications, right? <laughs> like, like, I don't think so. But we do this where we think that like our issues that we struggle with today are somehow like so unique and amplified from things in the past. And here's 2,000 years ago, and he's saying, you know, if we grow and become more like Jesus, if we turn our eyes to Jesus, if we focus on him, we won't be blown around by every teaching. Have you noticed how difficult it is to figure out like what, even just simple things, like what should we eat? You know, because one week it's like, man, you got to eat eggs. It's all about eggs. You need to get chickens. You need to have organic eggs. And then like two weeks later, Netflix has a new documentary, The Truth About Eggs. You're like, I'm never eating eggs again. <laughs> Right, And we're just going back and forth. And it happens about simple things like what we eat. But it also happens with bigger, more philosophical things. And it feels exhausting. It just feels exhausting because you're always having people tell you how to eat, what to do, how to live, how to make money, how to have more influence, how to have more joy, how to have more margin. And everything is around us. It's changing. And the people in Ephesus, you can just feel it in this letter. They are just so tired of being blown around and trying new religions and trying different things and they just want stability and he's saying then when we grow into Christ as we do this verse 14 then we will no longer be like children tossed by the waves 
tossed around by the waves. What Paul I'm tired of guessing and feeling empty and restarting. We'll no longer be like children tossed by the waves around every wind of teaching by human cunning cleverness and techniques of deceit. These things are from people who are just trying to get your ear for a moment. They're trying to get something out of you. They're trying to get your money. They're trying to get your time. They're trying to get your loyalty. They're trying to get whatever it is, and they're deceiving you. They're deceiving you. But if we grow into Christ, we won't be like that. We won't be tossed around. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Different abilities, different backgrounds, different people, same direction. What direction? Into Jesus, who's the head. That's where we're heading. That's our focus. That's our direction. And so that's the first thing we see. But the second thing we see is God's desire is for his church to grow in stability, growing in our knowledge and not being led astray easily. This idea of maturity. I have two daughters. I actually brought them here this morning. They're really excited to be with you guys. And I think it's helpful for them to, to see the, just different churches that are striving to do the same thing. And um, I have a seven-year-old and I have a three-year-old. And they're both very different. And part of why they're different is not just because they're, they're different humans, although that obviously matters, but part of why they're different is one is seven, is one, one is three. So my conversations with a seven-year-old look a little bit different than a three-year-old. My conversations with a 17-year-old look different than a seven-year-old, and so on and so forth. Because we know in children that we see them mature and they grow up, and as they do, they gain knowledge, they gain the ability to take care of themselves. And it's one of the things that also happens with churches. When you plan a church, a lot of the times you, you hope that there will be some, some men and women who know the Lord well early on who can help and can help guide it. And God blesses churches like this church with great elders that can help kind of grow the church in maturity. And this is the same thing that we're seeing, that we're not just called to make disciples, but we're also called to mature ourselves, that we would have a firm foundation. And there's a, an important piece with this, too, that, that truth and love are tied together. That we be people of truth and we be people of love. And here's the challenging thing, because we have to hold each other accountable in order to mature. We have to have some hard conversations, because the same way as my seven-year-old, she's getting a little bit older, the conversations are getting a little bit harder. They're getting a little bit more difficult. We have to hold truth and love in both hands at the same time. And we have to do that with one another. And a lot of times we try to separate it. If you love somebody, you won't say something challenging to them. You won't call them out on something. You'll just affirm, affirm, affirm. But the Bible doesn't say that's what love is. And so as we do this, we do this with truth and love. So I'm going to tell you the truth. If I see something in your life, I'm going to bring it to your attention and point you to Jesus in a way that's one center to another. But we have to hold each other accountable and point you to the truth, point our eyes back to Jesus and do so with love in a way that we care and love for one another. And both those things are needed in maturity. The same way that we do with children. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to help you understand. I'm going to help you grow. But everything in my life is going to point back again and again and again to the love that I have for you. And that's supposed to happen in here too, in the church family, as we grow into Christ. 
And so the second thing we see is that God's desire is for his church to grow in stability. Now look at verse 16. So we're, we're growing into Christ. We're growing in maturity and stability. And then from him, Jesus Christ, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So we're growing into Christ, but it's not just kind of one, uh, you know, kind of thing that everything looks the same, but there's actually contributing parts all coming together, being knit together. And so the third thing that we see is God's desire is for his church to grow in contribution where we're coming together as with differences in using our gifts for him. Growing together in our gifts, exercising our gifts, building up the body of Christ is what ministry is. Ministry is not just a moment that happens on Sunday morning. Ministry is not just a moment that happens at Salt Company. Ministry is all of us working together, all of you working together in this strategic place where God has you right now, using the gifts that God has you right now to make disciples, to uh, build up people into the body of Christ. And here's one of the amazing things that happens where it ties that maturing piece and this contributing piece is that as we serve, we mature. It's part of how God matures us. But what often we want to do is we want to say, once I'm mature, then I'll serve. But the way that we mature is through serving and using the gifts appropriately that God has for us. And this, there's ways that this works out in everyday life, and there's ways that it's, it doesn't. Like driving, you, get, you need to mature, and then you can drive a vehicle, right, to some extent. We're going to have a test. You need to pass it. I don't want, you know, and I don't know if you guys have those because when I drive around Gainesville, I feel like maybe you guys have a different test. It's a little concerning. But overall, right, it's like you need to pass this. You need to, you know, you don't take a seven-year-old and say, you know, what we really need to start doing is start, just start you on the neighborhood roads, you know. But once you reach a certain maturity point, you can take a test and you can get a driver's license. But that's not what happens here. It's not like, hey, once you've been around for a really long time, and once you've passed three different tests, and once you've got a seminary degree, then, then if we trust you, we're going to allow you to be a part of our greeting team. <laughs> that's not what happens. It's actually as soon as we're in Christ, as soon as we're a daughter, as soon as we're a son, we begin to use what God has given us and how he's uniquely wired us to contribute to his mission instantly. We don't wait until we hit a maturity point. Now, there might be some things that we do wait on, like you might not get saved and then preach three, you know, three minutes later, but we instantly start contributing. We instantly start serving. And as we do that, God uses that to grow us. And how do we find out what our abilities are? How do we find out what our gifts are? We also do that through serving. As people look into our life and say, man, I see this in your life. Right? There's, you know, you lead this Bible study and people come over to your house and I just, you are so good at making people feel welcome and making people feel loved and safe and creating that environment for them. I just see the gift of hospitality in your life man, you're just so good at that moment. As we serve, we also, we not only mature, but we find out more about what our gifts and our abilities are. In the list in the Bible that Paul gives about spiritual gifts, they're not extensive gifts, like they're the only ways in which God uniquely wires individuals. I mean, there's just 
extensive amounts, everything about us. God has knit you together in your mother's womb. He has uh, put things in your life that you can use for him. The, the list is so expansive, and we get kind of caught up in wanting to know what exact gift. I'm a, you know, I am a, an evangelist right-wing three beaver, you know, because I took four tests, and no. But we actually all have all these unique wirings, and part of how we figure out what we're gifted in is through serving with people, is through living out this Christian community with people. And there's this beautiful feedback loop that's happening as you see the leaders in the church of Ephesus who are teaching, who are preaching, they're equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And the ministry is helping bring people in, helping make disciples. And there's this beautiful loop that's happening because they're all growing together, not one better than the next all uniquely given through Christ. And it doesn't just happen on Sundays. It doesn't just happen in groups. It happens every single day as all the people who call this church home go out into the city and they go to their jobs and they go to their neighborhoods and they go to their kids' baseball games and they're all using the gifts that God has has given them to point people to Jesus, to bring them into this church community, to help them mature and to grow. And so that's what we do. We, we serve, and we grow, and we focus on Christ. So here's three things as I wrap up that I would just encourage you to do with this passage in mind. First, see your growth as the utmost importance. At an individual level, I pray that you want to know the Bible better, that you want to know the Scriptures better, that you want to fight sin better, that you want to be more like Jesus as an individual I pray that for you. I hope that for you. But I also pray that for this church, that you guys would care about growing this church and not just in making more disciples, but growing it in maturity because I pray, I, I pray that if one of my daughters somehow wants to come to the University of Florida, that at least, at least this place is here. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I would thank God for you, for my kid to be able to come here as a freshman and to get plugged into a church that loves them, that knows how to make them feel welcome, that knows how to teach them the Bible, and takes Jesus serious. So prioritize. Make it the utmost importance, and not just you as an individual. Don't feel bad about it. Make growth a priority for you as as a community, not in a way that gets your identity and value from how many people are in a room. But don't be apologetic about desiring to make disciples and see people enter God's kingdom here in Gainesville. Because one of the unique things for me as City Church is the only church I've ever been a part of. I thank God that our senior pastor and team that planted our church cared about growing in number because I was one of them. I was. So make that an utmost importance. Next thing I do is see today with the end in mind. Just realize what really matters. And that's us working together for the thing that God has called us to, the responsibility. And the third thing is see yourself as part of the body. You're part of the team. What Satan wants to do is he wants to say, you're not worth it. Jesus doesn't love you. You're not gifted. You're not good enough. See, if you start to try to tell people about Jesus, then they're going to start telling you about your past. Or you think that, that, that you're smart enough to have these types of conversations And so we let these doubts get in our mind, and those doubts get in our mind, and they stop us from faithfulness. 
And here's what I tell our college students. Anybody who's following Jesus can bring someone to him. Anybody who's following Jesus can serve Jesus. It's one of the beautiful things. But what if I'm at a coffee shop and someone asks me about the age of the earth and they ask me about salt deposits? Then just say, I don't know. I'd be happy to look into it. I'm not a saltologist, you know. I don't know how old the earth is. But I, I can just tell you what I know about Jesus. I can just tell you that if you're actually interested in learning more about Jesus, I can just tell you, I'll walk with you. I love you and I care for you. And so that's what I, my prayer for this, this church is that you guys would see growth as important, that you wouldn't become stale or content. I hope, you know, I was so excited that this wall got blown out. It's so exciting. I can't wait for you guys to, to fill this place and be talking about what's next. That you would see today with the end in mind that you would use the opportunities that God gives you to make much of him and that you would see yourself as part of this team, that your Christian life wouldn't be like man versus wild, you out all on your own, but it would be more like a great team coming together where you can enjoy one another and work one another and ultimately build something beautiful. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to have a moment where you guys can take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to gather together this morning and God, we're just grateful for what you're doing here in Gainesville. Father, just thinking about six years ago, coming down here and helping Paul and his family unload a U-Haul and just praying that there would be people here to come to know Jesus that would love your gospel, that would love college students. And Father, how faithful you've been since then. Father, we just pray that you would continue to do it right here, that you would continue to allow this church to be a part of your work here in Gainesville for years and years and years to come. Father, I pray for every person in this room that they would see themselves as an important part of what you're doing, that every part is needed, that every part is named by you. And Father, uh, that, that all those doubts in their mind that they might have, that they're not good enough, that they don't know enough, whatever those doubts may be, Father, I pray that you would just rid them of those and just push them towards faithfulness in you. Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning to worship you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this song, you guys are going to have the opportunity to respond through taking the Lord's Supper. This is something that Jesus commands as a reminder for us to focus on his work. He says that the bread represents his body, which was broken for us on the cross, and that the juice represents his blood, which allowed us to be cleansed of our sins. And so as people gather together as churches and they participate in the Lord's communion, it gives us a reminder to, to focus and turn our eyes to him who is the head, as our passage says. And so uh, you guys are going to be able to respond and do that. Uh, you'll be able to take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice. There's two stations up front. There's two stations in the back. There are gluten-free options uh, for those of you who uh, need that. And then if you're here today, uh, we believe the Lord's Supper is for those who have placed their faith in Christ. So if you're here and you haven't placed your faith in Christ, and, and maybe there's something stirring in you, you don't need to come up to the table to take the Lord's Supper. We'd love to have one of you come back, and I'd love to talk to you about what it means to place your faith in Jesus. Uh, we're so grateful for you guys being here. We're going to allow you guys to respond now.